0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to What is Covenant Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Counseling Ministry with Dr. Michael David Clay, aka Dave Clay. I'm not sure that it was such the big deal, (laughs) although, whatever it took to accomplish the end, I certainly got the message. I was to succeed in life. I think some of that was cultural. Not so much so my immediate family. Maybe not so much <laughs> so the particular region or area to which I was privileged to have been born. Uh, national, <gasps> a people's level level a national level i think certainly and for me it was football <laughs> and i suppose also i should say television now back in the day when all of this would have been coming together for me there was only three stations <laughs> there was abc nbc and cbs which were systems and then correspondingly so In our particular area, there were three stations, three transmitters. They were licensed uh, by the Federal Communications, whatever, whatever, and FCC. And with that then, I was piped, (laughs) I guess directly so, it was piped directly so into my home as well as my brain as well as pretty much anywhere I went, we lived in a great country. It was fabulous, fantastic. Look at all the successes. Look at everything that we were doing as a country, as a people, and we were all one people. All of the states came together as the United States of America, and we we were really... I don't know if we were full of ourselves, but we really knew what we were supposed to do, and that is succeed. Whether it was business, whether it was more civic oriented, whether it was even within your home, there was a model that was predicated upon success, and this is what success looked like. And I'll go back to football. So I was a huge fan of sports and particularly the National Football League. Back then, it was the American Football League as well as the National Football League, so it was before the two leagues merged, as they are now, into the singular one, NFL, and then there's these other derivatives, kind of like farm clubs, I suppose, maybe, maybe not. But it was all about Those superstars mostly was the quarterbacks and the receivers, but there was linemen, there were linemen, there were running backs, there were teams, there was branding, (laughs) all the things that have over that period of time since all of that was to where we are today has transpired, But it seems like somewhere along the way, the messaging got convoluted, or maybe it was a bit diluted. Maybe it's just that the definition of success now is so much more diversified that it's not as clear-cut as it used to be, and the image of that is not as tangibly, I guess, articulated as it once was. Now, I could say this, that regardless of all of that, I could still find icons. I could still watch throwback TV as well as watch throwback football games uh, where they put on the uniforms of the day and celebrate the names that stood out of renown. But one good thing... Then I also know if I'm really at any point feeling somewhat convoluted or deluded or uh, D-I-L-U-T-E-D, not D-E-L-U-T-E-D, as in with delusional, uh, I can go to the Word of God (laughs) because it's real clear cut what success is. Now, I don't know that even in the Word of God, though, that it is always without convolution or diluted or somehow confusing because as much as, again, I've got two operational systems, basically. I've got my flesh and then I have the Holy Spirit. I still tend to be flesh-based, feet of clay, and so everything that I process is at least initially taken in in some sort of human dimension and has to then be in some sort of supernatural way, through Jesus Christ, again, Holy Spirit operation, translated, and then I can be transfigured into the likeness of Jesus. And even so, the likeness of Jesus... Is only for my human dimension because I still need an icon of success. I, kneel, I still need something to point to, to look at, and say, This is success. And Jesus is success. But even Jesus, though, is more than human and he's more than an icon. It's important that I recognize him. He's better than Bart Starr <laughs> uh, in the sense that that was a quarterback for the Green Bay Packers that I admired greatly. But at the same time, though, he's more than human. He's God. He's God in the flesh and. The transfiguration part of it is I have to realize even the icon, even the image of Christ will lose its utility or purpose from a human standpoint when I'm no longer human. When I'm no longer human, I don't need to be thinking about those things in those terms. Bart Starr, Johnny Unitas, I aspired to be like them. Now I aspire to be like Jesus. And as long as I'm in the flesh, the human, again, tabernacle tent that God has given me to... to, He's chosen to put His Spirit into, for His Spirit to abide in. Then I need to keep it clean and sanctified and need to allow Him in the Holy Spirit, the Word, to translate that in some sort of tangible term. Not only of me unto Jesus... But me and my personal life, as I might then, in translational sort of terms, transactional sort of terms, deal with the world in material dimension, human dimension. And for me, (laughs) David, King David is the best icon of that. Is he better than Bart Star? Yes. Is he better than Johnny Unitas? Yes. At least in word sort of terms. I don't know Bart's particular if he's still alive. <laughs> Persuasion when it comes to his relationship with God or Johnny Unitas, which I don't think he's alive. I don't know anymore. You get so old that you begin to lose track of who's around and who isn't. It all kind of bleeds into one, as the saying goes. But at the same time, though, even as much Jesus isn't in, again, material dimension, human form, I know he lives, I know David does it, but David is probably comparable to, better than anything, that the best, or as with best, humans could be outside of Jesus and Jesus and David are not too unalike I just have to realize that I have to go beyond just simply transactional translational terms and have to operate then predominantly in the Holy Spirit and then with the mind of Christ the mind of God as with (laughs) still word now living word or I'm going to fall short how short uh david again is a good example he was short in stature but falling short of the mark but he was certainly on the way and if that should be my end without jesus that would be my end (laughs) and i'd go the way of uh, any of those icons of the past if only measured materially but he's not my end, or he's not my aspirational end. I want to be like Jesus, but I think David even wanted to be like Jesus. The problem with David was Jesus had not yet come, and so the finish of the best that humans could be, as with the addition of of the Holy Spirit, as with the additional element of, as a mind of Christ, the gospel of Jesus, it wasn't, of Jesus Christ, it wasn't available to David. David was still struggling with his own translation, which for him would have been what we now know as Old Testament, an Old Testament word. And he didn't even have the benefit, as we do, of King Solomon. And all the wisdom literature that Solomon contributed to. Solomon wasn't the sole writer or author of that. God always has been by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The word is delivered. The word was written down under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, whether you look at it Old or New Testament. But with King David, Solomon was his son, and it wasn't yet to be all that captured. You can say, well, that's what David did. He passed it on to Solomon. And I will agree with that. So maybe we're closer to source than I at least initially thought on the podcast today. But for me, I could read all of that. For you, you can read all of that and garner all the wisdom that God could give in human sort of conceptualization. (laughs) And it's all transactional, folks. We've been in 2 Samuel I have, at least, in last podcast and maybe a podcast prior. I read from, particularly last podcast, twenty four chapter 24, about David and his numbering the people. I'm not going to read the whole chapter again. I'm going to go to verse 12. And the setup, the context of verse 12 is, that God put it upon David out of his own fears and inadequacies because his kingdom had been taken from him or at least challenged in that way. So many times, though David knew that God promised it to him, there was always seemingly a foe, the devil. David doesn't call it the devil. They call it Belial in the Old Testament. (laughs) But with the idea, though, that he was certainly doing the same thing then to David that he's doing to us now, as he did to Christ, who I'm going to get to here in a moment on the podcast. But David had numbered the people, realized that was out of the wrong motive it was out of his fear that his kingdom was going to be taken out of this great divide between Judah and Israel and what would eventually be the great divide that would separate the kingdom not only from each other as a divided house, but also separate them from God. Was it anything that David had to do with? Yes, it was manifest in his life from the very beginning. He made some bad choices. This was toward the end of his life, 2 Samuel 24, and I think he's beginning to (laughs) grow in wisdom because though God promised, David was still under the conception, human conception, transactionally, he had to defend it. He had to preserve it because even though God had promised, if he didn't do his part to defend, if he didn't number the people, he may come up short again Then he won't go let that happen. <laughs> Absalom was not going to do that again. Uh, And though Absalom was deceased at the time, those type of things. He was hanging out with the Philistines because of Saul and the exile. And so there was just always this fight for the throne. And even before David passed, it reemerged even immediate to 2 Samuel 24, time-wise, Solomon, Bathsheba, the throne, the bequeathing. Of that success, as measured success, the promise of God fulfilled, not only would he have dominion, but out of that would come peace. But David didn't understand. The peace was also going to come out of God. It wasn't going to come out of him. And he didn't have to defend it. Verse 12. Go and say unto David, and this would be Gad, the prophet Gad, God speaking to Gad, Thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things. Choose thee one of them, that I may do it unto thee. So Gad came to David and told him and said unto him, Shall seven years of famine come unto thee in thy land? Or wilt thou flee three months before thine enemies while they pursue thee? Or wilt thou... That there be three days of pestilence in thy land. Now consider and see what answer I shall return to him who sent me. And David said unto Gad, I am in deep distress. Let us fall now into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great. And let me not fall into the hand of man. So, again, with some attempt to just be sort of consolidated. Consolidate all this piety. Let me just say this. This is wisdom. You don't want to fall into the hand of man. You want to remain under the dominion, the direction of God. Why? Because if he makes the promise, David has learned that anytime he tries to insert himself or someone else inserts himself into that position. And God has not then bequeathed it to them, has not made or given that direction or order, made that decision to order it in the way that he has. And they're trying to be in disobedience. They're going against God's order. It's not a good thing. And that's exactly what David's motive was. He was counting the people because of his humanity. And he was wanting to find out who had the greater numbers so he could figure out if he had a chance. If someone should try to take his kingdom, namely Israel, should reemerge. Come. And they were in a, a, a phase of reconciliation at that point. But would then somehow that spirit, not the good spirit, the spirit of Belal sort of be stirred up in them. Could he defend it? What was he going to do? It's hard to resist that temptation. He's lived through all of this. So even as much Gad, the prophet, speaking on behalf of God, came to David, it was all the things that David had experienced that Gad told David that God had said. There had been famine. David knew it fully well. He had been on the run from his enemies. David knew it fully well. And David knew the pestilence. And you could say, well, how, whether he knew it directly, and I can't think of a particular instance where he experienced that directly, but the Hebrew people had known all these things too. And so there is, again, as I began the podcast, whether it's individually in my family, in my particular regional geography, culture, or nationally, those things impact us. And with the word of God, as with the three stations, had been clearly piped in. Back then there was just two, I suppose. There's Belel and then there's God. There's the devil, and Satan, and Lucifer, and then there's God. And even so, there was Jesus, as was in the garden, but not yet manifest. The tree of life. Not yet manifest. And so, David knew about all these things. Now, last podcast, I made an assertion and even entitled the podcast, The Temptations of David, because it came to my awareness that Jesus experienced similar temptations. And I thought, well, this is probably a good thing that I recognize. <laughs> At least the Holy Spirit gave me this insight and I have an awareness because it's the point that I'm trying to make of the podcast. David was doing it out of himself. David was doing it out of a translational sort of dimension. David was not yet fully transfigured. He had been translated as with Enoch and was otherwise covered by the word of God. That was a sanctification. It was the Old Testament. But it was only for the sake of preservation so that one day when the full dispensation of God's sanctification and when we pass over, not only when we die in a physical sense, that's going to happen, But now, while we're still alive, we can experience the transfiguration, that aspect that Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ would then otherwise bring to us, not only in awareness as with the gospel, the mind of Christ, but with the actual actions. (laughs) And he acted differently and he acted out of a different motive, though he was human, now we're speaking of Jesus, He did better than David. David learned this at the end of his life. Jesus has this at the beginning. We probably have it at the beginning. We just lose sight of it because of all the things that happen along the way that seemingly is going to deny us the promise of God. Deny us the glory that God has intentioned for us. Deny us the relationship. Deny us the experience of being in the garden with God. Deny us the fellowship. If we live in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with God as well as one into another. First John. It seems like it's not going to work. But that's the lie. And then when you, in a reactive sort of way, start to number the people... Number your resources. You become hypervigilant. David had become hypervigilant. You see the devil everywhere. You see the devil in everyone. Which is not to deny the fact that the devil is there. What we need in the garden. He's in the garden. What we need to realize though is in doing that in that manner. Leading with and then at that moment of critical decision making choice. The temptation, the test. Allowing then your focus and fixation to remain on the enemy and the adversary rather than the promise of God to success, to overcoming not only the adversary as with attitude how you're going to look at this, the mind of God, the mind of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, you fall into that trap of trying to do it out of yourself. You may do it for noble purpose and reason, and you may have had a word from God, as I believe all of us have, that we have a particular lane to run in, an experience in life that's unique to us, but it's all successful. I'll never coach the Green Bay Packers or the Johnny Unitas the um, Baltimore Colts. But I can do my part. (laughs) And sometimes I feel like I'm an all-star quarterback. Not often. Sometimes I have those measures of success in translational, transactional sort of terms. Sometimes I can feel and look like Jesus, even if you measure it from human. And that's not wrong. He's my icon. I want to be like Jesus. Jesus. But the moment I get there and then think I've arrived, I have to realize it's not of even my human conception. Even my human aspiration, the best that I could be, the best virtue I could come up with. I'm only going to get there, as I said earlier in testimony, from the Holy Spirit who is alive within me. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He provides me the power and the strength to overcome, unlike King David that Jesus had in the wilderness. Yes, we don't. We don't live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. But get this, God lives within us. He doesn't have separation. We create separation from God, Adam and Eve, under the sway and influence of the devil, began to doubt and doubt and disbelief will make it hard because God does it a way that doesn't seem right unto us a different way than we would have it. We would have the success to be so linear and so clear-cut. And we would then be so fixated upon that that there would be a devil everywhere because everything is a challenge. You have to make sure it works. You have to keep your guard up. You have to cover all the bases. You have to watch out because there's Absalom sitting at the gate that's going to steal your kingdom from you. You can't let your mind go to that because then you'll be so hypervigilant that when God sends someone to help you, You can't be upset the moment they start to succeed in helping you or being part of. That's the kingdom of God, folks. It's when we're all working together as one exponentially, the kingdom of God begins to manifest. How many times has that happened only for somebody to get jealous, somebody to get paranoid, somebody to get suspicious, somebody to become worried, somebody to look at the other person and say, How come he got that and I didn't? How come she got that and I didn't? How come you got to go to school there and I didn't? How come you got this and I didn't? Well, I can't explain it all, but I'm not going to measure it and judge it in transactional terms, except that I would say, well, obviously, if you're giving credit to the devil, that's probably not something that you should do. God's the benefactor of all good things come from above. The devil just tries to hijack and steal the credit, but it's your downfall. You might feel good for a moment. You may think you're better than everybody else, but in the end, you're not. And then that's going to be your curse. David was cursing himself by remembering all this stuff. He should have just relaxed and rested in the Lord. Yes, God already knew what David was going to do. Yes, Jesus had yet to come But David was still human. (laughs) He had had impartation of the Holy Spirit, but he didn't really believe the Holy Spirit was in him to such the extent that the power to overcome was there. And when it came time to make critical decisions, David was still prone to making wrong ones and then feeling embarrassingly so bad afterwards. And whether the pestilence was either going to happen with or without that, David's choice to number the people, you could say, well, it could have just been... Well, still, it doesn't matter (laughs) because God is more of the highest orders than the lesser. It's all of spirit and then even so the mind is higher than the flesh Go ask a psychologist, a psychological counselor. They're going to tell you, your mind has to have preeminence over your body or you're going to do a lot of things out of reaction. Fight or flight, survival kind of mode. I'm going to starve to death. They're going to kill me. Fight or flight is enough to allow you to survive when there is imminently that risk of death. But it's not good to make decisions from. You need to be thoughtful. And so even then, there's a hierarchy in the Old Testament, I believe, is about that first level of mind dominion over flesh, but that's not enough. (laughs) You have to have God dominion, Holy Spirit dominion over the mind, because even so, as much the mind controls or can control the emotions... If the mind becomes too corrupt, if there's too many bad things and you're having all these memories and then you're having all these triggerings and then you're having all these sort of flashback experiences of all those bad things and then all those bad emotions follow after, if you're not careful, you can just continue to reindoctrinate yourself over and over again. So when somebody comes along that's looking successful, oh my, they're going to take over. Oh my, I'm a loser. Oh my, I'm not going to win. That is failure identity built upon some experiences, but those experiences should have been sanctified. First, by the Old Testament word of God, the promise of God to success, the Abraham covenant with God. And then secondly, the Jesus covenant. Accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior allows you to truly rest from all of that. Will you still be tempted? Yes, tried, yes. Matthew chapter 4. Then was Jesus led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by the devil, Beelzebub. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungry the success hadn't immediately come. Jesus had just come from the Jordan. (laughs) And with that, John, the Baptist, the heavens opening, the dove coming down, God saying so that all could hear, this is my beloved son. This is Jesus, my son, and would have been the blessing of success that we all long for, or that we should all probably recognize we've received, to even have had the privilege of being born. God had a purpose for us. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. But it still was 40 days, and it had not happened yet. And what is yet? The beginning of his ministry. And was Jesus then saying, well, I've just got to go out and do stuff. I've got to go. No, he was in the wilderness. The Holy Spirit, again, as with the verse, Jesus was led up by the Spirit, capital S, took him into the wilderness. Why? So that he could remember to resist the temptations of his flesh, at least eliminating that inclination Is this the one? Is this the opportunity? Is this the chance? Maybe I should do this now. If I don't do this now, then will I miss my opportunity for success? Whatever your measure of success might be. But you become impulsive and then emotionally driven out of fear. And even then, allowing the fear, as with worry, the norepinephrine and adrenaline, the parasympathetic nervous system operation... To change your way of thinking, no longer are you hypervigilant, you become paranoid. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, which Jesus already knew. He'd just come from the Jordan. He already knew that before the Jordan. He went to the Jordan seeking baptism of John, so that that would then be confirmed. Command that these stones be made bread. There's the hunger part. Famine. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up unto or into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. Did Jesus want to succeed? Yes. In the flesh? Yes. Was he worried about enemies? or wilt thou flee three months before thine enemies while they pursue thee? I went back to 2 Samuel, verse 13, David. But that's exactly what David had. The devil was just taking advantage of that cultural link. (laughs) Jesus, house of Judah, David, Jesse. It's all there. And with that... So much Joseph and Mary. It's all there. Why is that important? I don't think it's important to distinguish Judah necessarily in a transactional sort of way, superior. You could make it that. You could live there because it is a literal promise or it's literally manifest. No, it's just to point out what we've tried to, again, attempted to point out in the podcast today. You're a product of your upbringing. Jesus was no different. The devil knew that. Jesus could have been worried that somebody was going to come along and take it from him. And had Jesus worried then, and he was tempted a second time in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he went to the cross by this same devil. But his prayer was, if it be thy will, God, let this cup pass. But he knew This was exactly what had to happen. But when did he know it? He didn't only know it then, at that moment of testing. He knew it here, even before it all got started. And why is that important? Because he would have been tempted by all the success he had. He was God in the flesh. He had all power and dominion. Would he let it go to his head? Would he let it override the Holy Spirit? Would he let it divide him from God? Would he let it create doubt and belief when the next obstacle came up, the next challenge came up? Would he think to himself, oh, I think I can do this. Bart Starr probably never did that. Johnny Unitas probably never did that. I apologize again. I confess, those are my icons. But if you're a winner, even in that, at that level, the lower level, by the way, just to reiterate, restate it, You're not going to win if you're thinking about losing. It's not going to happen. And saith unto him, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against his son. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not put the Lord thy God to the test. Again, the devil taketh him up and into an exceedingly high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. This is all that God had done for David. David was just still human. And that was his corruption and full of iniquity. <laughs> As with predominance, we all have iniquity. We're all born into original sin. We are all guilty of that. And saith unto him, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Now, most of us would say, no way if I'm a Christian. I'm going to worship the devil. But that's really not what that's about in that direct way. It is indirectly. It may begin with that in a direct manner or fashion. It may always begin as with Jesus, a declaration. No, I'm not going to do that. So that you might then, in the end, when it's all said and done, have proven how powerful these words of Jesus are as I'm reading them today. I'm going to finish. Then saith Jesus unto him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. Now that would be... Again, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. David never had that experience again because he was not the Christ. Jesus was the Christ, is the Christ. If David liveth, he liveth in Jesus the Christ. If David liveth, he doesn't liveth in flesh any more than Jesus is now bound to the corruption of the flesh. The flesh has to pass away because it is implicitly, materially, in transactional terms, always going to die. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. But what Jesus established is what David couldn't. It wasn't going to be of himself. It was going to be of God. But because it was of God... It wasn't of service to the material, the mammon, because it was the service and service to God and the highest order of dominions and kingdoms. Jesus would then rightly inherit that kingdom. He would be both priest first and then king over all. He would have rightful dominion over all. But it had to be a switch, a flip, so to speak, from a material based, Old Testament word based, as with limitation then, unfinished, not wrong, unfinished. But if you only go that far, you'll never receive the second blessing of the Holy Spirit and Holy Spirit operation in the fullness that it has been intended of God when he sent Jesus, when Jesus chose as God, to come into flesh to distribute that to us and to prove we are not bound by our flesh. It is not only an attitude, it is the mind of God and Christ in the Holy Spirit that is more than even just conceptualization. Mere words cannot even describe it. So I'm going to try on the podcast. But when you know he's there and you believe he's there and you know the Holy Spirit is there and Jesus is speaking to you through that and where is that? It's in you. It's been in you all along. It's just been hidden from you as Jesus was in the garden from the very beginning. At the very, very beginning with Adam and Eve, it took them a while to realize. They kicked themselves out of the garden. They couldn't stay with God because they couldn't agree with God, not only on the promise, they wanted to, but on the way that it was required that they otherwise, in material dimension, they couldn't bring it about of their own will. It had to be service unto God. The devil is just saying, worship me and you'll have it all. No, you'll just be David. just end up becoming hyper vigilant and paranoid. There will always be somebody that's going to come along and try to steal the kingdom. The kingdom is not of flesh. The kingdom is not of wood. The kingdom is not of hay. The kingdom is not of stubble. All that will be burned. The kingdom is not a temple. It's not on a temple mount. It was. And it was okay because it was iconic. It was an icon. But it's been done away with. There is no Ark of the Covenant except you. You are the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> they, they, in projection sort of terms, they God instructed them to. They needed something tangible because they were still in their immaturity bound to the flesh. But when they died to that operational system and began to realize, well, maybe there's... Something more. Maybe there's a bit more in Jesus. Maybe there's a bit more in salvation. And I just need to or unto salvation in the process of truly salvation or fulfillment of the promise that God's given me. I need to go out in the wilderness. I need to disconnect from all this worldly stuff, this mammon stuff. I need to shut out all the external noise. I need to just be with God. And where is God? He's around me. Jesus says that. But he's more importantly, as for the sake of our conversation today, in me. That's the gospel. Jesus is alive in you. You are not Jesus out of your flesh. I'm not Bart Starr, Johnny Unitas. (laughs) don't even know if anybody's ever going to the internet unfortunately good ways and the unfortunate is the bad ways probably makes a record of all of us until it crashes but the idea seemed immortal but the idea though is is that that's why jesus is the only one i am in christ you don't need me you don't need my word. You don't need the president's word. You don't need the actor's word. You don't need the governor's word, the senator's word. You don't need the neighbor's word. You don't need your boss's word. <laughs> you just need God's word alive in you. Now, as I'm sure, those of you who have listened for a while probably already understand, but there'll always be some, even if you've listened for a while. What has got to do with counseling? This is the foundation. It's not my advice. It's God speaking in you, through you, to you. And I'll see manifestation of that. But all my job is to comfort you, to allow you to calm down, settle down, to point out where the adversary is taking advantage of you and then the sickness that therein follows ensues. And to agree with you when the word of God begins to manifest itself, himself, Through you unto us I'm going to say, hey, wait a minute I just heard God Hey, wait a minute, I can bear witness Because the Holy Spirit He's in me You can't tell, that's my heart beating I'm feeling it right now He's moving right now We should pause for a moment And listen All the things of the devil That loud screaming voice That says, you're going to die It's not going to work Don't pay attention to it now that you can hear the still, small voice in you that is your way to peace, is your way to wisdom, is your way to not being reactive, is your way to all that good biochemistry, the neurotransmitters that go with the sympathetic nervous system operation, the serotonin, dopamine, GABA, oxytocins, endorphins, the things that help you sleep at night, that give you a good appetite that are part of your autoimmune and immunological system that helps you to function better, (laughs) that takes all the stress, the worry, out of your mind, so that you don't continue that worrisome loop to the point of paranoia, (laughs) or fixating so much on your failure that all you can see is death. We shut that down. It's not me, it's the Word of God. But this is the Word of God. This is the paradigm that all of Covenant, Specialized Pastoral Care Services, Christian Counseling, Ministry, all of our counseling is predicated upon. You come see us, this is what you're going to get. That's enough for today. How should you get a hold of us should you want to? covenants.llc1 at yahoo.com, covenantsonline.com. You can catch us on Facebook as well as YouTube at Covenants 304 528 And, of course, you can join us on the next podcast edition of What is Covenants? Specialized pastoral care services, Christian counseling ministry with Dr. Michael David Clay. I think that I did that well enough. I think I covered all the things. So if you want to reach out and just chat, fantastic. If you think you want to sit down and talk, great. We live in a virtual world, so even if you live in Africa and you get this and you want to do something online, it doesn't cost you anything to email me and we could do a virtual session. Amazingly so. So wherever you're at, should that be something you'd want, we're open to that. So, should you want us, you know how to reach us, should you want to communicate, even if you don't want to meet with us, please feel free to use all of those methods to keep and communicate with us, and always come back again for our next edition, and until we get a chance to meet again, I just want to say God bless you, and I thank you very much for the privilege to be able to bring this to you.